Welcome to Soccer Morning on Backheel.com. Here's your host, Jason Davis. Good morning, everybody. Welcome into Soccer Morning here. Brought to you by World Soccer Talk. We are getting a bit of a late start on a Tuesday. I'll blame the snow that landed in my particular neck of the woods last night. Not overly concerning. I did make it to the studio today, which is all that really matters. But we are getting started late, which means we have to rush through the beginning of the program. We got headlines to do. We certainly got to line up our guests, two very good guests, friends of the show, Eric Gomez. Eric Gomez Fox on Twitter covering Mexican soccer will join us in just a couple of minutes. And then at 1030, Jonathan Tannewald from Philly.com, the goalkeeper on Twitter will join us. We'll talk, uh, we'll talk TV rights deals, FIFA shenanigans, maybe some MLS, uh, seasonal things coming up here in a bit. With Jonathan Tannewalt, should be a, fa- a fantastic discussion with him. Let's get into these headlines this morning. It is Champions League Day. The Champions League has returned. Round of 16, PSG and Chelsea facing off in Paris today. Cesc Fabregas, questionable for that match. That's a concern for Chelsea, clearly. The other match, Shakhtar Donetsk and Bayern Munich in Ukraine. So some question over the safety of uh, the fans and the players there at that match because it's Ukraine. I don't want to overblow that situation. I don't want to blow that situation up into more than it is. It's clearly west of the conflict zone. But as you know, sometimes these big time matches become targets. And let's hope that that's, that's not the case. I'm sure security will be very, very strong there for that match at Dardanesk and Bayern Munich, as I said. Former AC Milan head coach, uh, manager, excuse me, Ergo Sacchi has, uh, has created a controversy in Italy by stating that there are too many black players in the Italian national team pipeline. Now he came out today trying to clarify those comments saying, I'm certainly not racist and my history as a coach proves that, et cetera, et cetera. But there's no other way to take your comments. If you look at what he said, there's too many black players. And then is in, in, in an attempt to make it better, he says, I've been misinterpreted. You really think I'm racist. All I said was I saw the game featuring a team who fielded four colored players. Now, I don't, obviously there's a translation issue here. I only want to underline that we are losing our national pride and identity. It's racist. There's no other way around this. I don't know what the fallout of this will be. Clearly, he's a former manager, not a current manager. That makes a little bit of a difference. La Liga officials will investigate Cristiano is drunk chance that happened at the Camp Nou. During the Barcelona Levante match, if you can hear the smile in my voice, I'm sorry. This is funny to me. Look, I don't know. This rises to the level of abuse. It was happening at a game that Cristiano wasn't playing in. Uh, it's related, obviously, to his party that he held for his 30th birthday. I, I don't know. I, I guess there's a consistency issue. Apparently, there were investigations into anti-messy chants last season. All right, fine. Be consistent. I don't know that this is a big deal. Andrea Pirlo has said he will not retire this uh, this summer, so everyone rejoice over that news, and in Russia, the 2018 World Cup, slated for Russia, apparently construction delays, a lack of funds, may require the government to ask the oligarchs, and including in that group, uh, Roman Abramovich, Uzmanov of Arsenal, in order to help get move that process along, get those stadiums built in time for the 2018 World Cup. FIFA is just on fire with these World Cup preparations from uh, from tournament to tournament. All right, that is it. We are out of time in the first segment. Now let's move on. Eric Gomez, Eric Gomez Fox covering Liga MX will join us in just a couple seconds. Talk some Mexican soccer. Don't go anywhere. Soccer Morning brought to you by WorldSoccerTalk.com. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on Backheel.com with Jason Davis. Here we go, back to talk some Mexican football with our friend Eric Gomez, who apparently has changed his Twitter handle on me. Eric, what are you doing, man? <laughs> I'm, I'm taking care of the personal brand, as they would say. I, I see that. Eric Gomez 86 is where you need to go to follow Eric. I haven't checked in a while. I just follow you. And, you know, when somebody changes their Twitter handle and you're already following them, Nothing changes for you, so I didn't. I wasn't aware. No. I'm, I apologize. Got to get, uh, got to get this right. Eric Gomez, eighty six on Twitter. Re- uh, make sure you're following him. Eric, how are you? How's Mexico? I'm doing great. It's uh, it's pretty good weather down here. I'm still awaiting 
the six months of consistent showers that Mexico City gets. So I'm enjoying it while I still can. Uh, we got plenty of news uh, in the world of Mexican football to talk about today. I think we'll start with the managerial change at Monterrey. Carlos Barra out uh, signing. Uh, the club has uh, hired Antonio Mohamed, who people will remember from Tijuana and certainly from um, uh, from Club America. Uh, what does uh, Muhammad bring to Monterey? And, and ultimately, what do you think of the decision to hire him? Well, he brings the... As you mentioned, Tijuana and America, two, his two last clubs in Mexico, those have yielded Liga MX championships for those teams. Um, this will be his sixth team in Mexico. And the first four didn't go uh, as he would have wanted them to. But um, after the two-year run in Tijuana and then... 2014 in America, both getting them uh, Liga MX titles. I think the the bar is set pretty high for Mohamed to come into Monterrey, which is, of course, one of the richest clubs in Mexico, one of the richest clubs in Latin America. And uh, they're, they're doing pretty badly at the moment, obviously. They got four points, 17th, so next to last in the table. And I think it was very exciting and very enticing for journalists and fans alike to see a guy like Mohamed come back because um, he was not renewed from Club America after he won the title in December, and it was a very ugly fallout, very public spat between um, the team's president and the team's vice president and Mohamed. So it took him longer to come back than it did for him to leave Club America, and um, it'll be very. It just adds another layer of, of intensity, you know, another layer of. Uh, of uh, pretty good storytelling uh, to Liga MX as we, we move on in this close to the 2015 season. Well, for people who might not know, I mean, you, you just mentioned he won a title at Tijuana. He won a title at Club America in the wake of the Mel, Miguel Herrera era there at that club as he left to go take the national team job. So explain to people why he might, why he was let go or not renewed at Club America after winning a title. Mohamed is very well known. Uh, for being a complete family man. His family has never relocated from Argentina. Um, during his spell in Tijuana, it was very common for him to take bye weeks and uh, vacation time off in the middle of the season to go to, go to Argentina and, and uh, just visit his, his sons and daughters. Um, that was not part of the expressly written deal at Club America in uh, 2014 last year. So the club's presidency grew increasingly annoyed at the fact that he would just kind of up and leave randomly for two or three days to visit his his family and then come back to Mexico City, especially when that came down to coaching on on <clears throat> on Liga MX game days. Um, when that situation kind of came to a head in November, it was decided that he would leave the club no matter what. Um, but the team was in the middle of a playoff run. And nobody knew it at the time until one of my colleagues at, at Fox, um, Fox Sports Land America broke news, but, um, they essentially fired him and hired somebody else while he was still on the job. So that kind of grew <clears throat> into a very public feud and he eventually won the league MX title, but he was still let go two days later. So when he, uh, as he makes this move to Monterey, what, um, what do you expect? What kind of, um, kind of style changes or, or uh, ways of playing will be different at Monterey under Mohamed? Mohamed's a 4-4-2 guy, but he, he loves to counterattack. He loves to build a strong foundation at the back and allow teams to kind of not run, you know, run roughshod with him in, when it comes to possession, but it allows him to maintain an order in the back and then just kind of spread out with some very, very neat and quick attack play. Um, he will get the opportunity to do that at Monterrey. He has some very talented players. Um, Juan Pavon comes, uh, comes to mind immediately. The Colombian striker who is with, um, with Valencia and with Monterrey, actually. Uh, he's got a couple of very quick Colombian wingers. Um, and, you know, again, Monterrey is one of the richest teams in Mexico. So they've been able to sign their way into a very strong position. They've got a couple of young, who I hold in very high regard. One of them is um, Candido Ramirez, who's a 21-year-old Mexican winger. And then the other the other guy who I, I fully expect Mohamed to use a lot more because of his capabilities is uh, Alonso Hernandez, who was born in El Paso and who can also who can play as an attacking midfielder, who can also play as a forward. I think he's played for the U.S. men's um, national team at the U23 level. Mm-hmm. So I think it, it also becomes a, a bit of a 
selling point for American soccer fans to watch Monterey, uh, given as Mohamed has some some pretty uh, good uh, U.S. born talent there. It looks like to me uh, Monterey's entire problem so far in this tournament has has been away form. Is that uh, something that that uh, Mohamed can come in and immediately impact? <clears throat> he was very very good at reverting away form for Club America. Even with Miguel Herrera, uh, that was kind of the if you wanted to beat Club America under Miguel Herrera, you would definitely do uh, outside of the Estadio Azteca. And I think Mohamed was actually stronger in his first tournament away from the Estadio Azteca than he was at home. So, yeah, he's a very frustrating manager for opposing managers and opposing teams to figure out because he is so strong in the back. And you would expect a home team to hold the lion's share of possession, and you would expect a team that is defending its stadium to have the most uh, shots on goal, et cetera, et cetera. None of that really matters with a team that is um, managed by Mohamed because he is so good at attacking off the break and he is so good at holding teams off even when they um, are seemingly dictating the the style of play. So, yeah, I mean, I think we're looking at a team that's going to make the playoffs. In Mexico, eight out of 18 teams make the playoffs. They're 17th right now, but it's still very early days in the closer to 2015 season. So I would definitely expect Mohamed to come come in there take advantage of the talent that has been signed for, for Monterey and, and really make a run at the playoffs. I don't think there'll be title contenders just yet, but I think they'll, they'll be back in the playoffs for sure. Monterey, as you said, 17th place right now. Cruz is a little top of the table. Tijuana, uh, Tijuana Mac, uh, Club America, who uh, that's where we'll turn to now. Mohamed's former club, um, where there's an American player getting some attention from uh, American scouts, Ventura Alvarado. Uh, the defender, uh, talk a little bit. Give me a little bit of a of a biography. I mean, we we've touched on him before here. Give me a little bit of a biography about uh, of Ventura Alvarado and what he, uh, what his prospects may be in the American system if if he ends up choosing to play for them. Yeah, he's um, Phoenix born, twenty two years old, uh, six feet. I think he's either six foot one or six feet, um, you know, six foot zero. Uh, central defender, but can also play on the wing, and we saw that during the championship run for America last season. Alvarado kind of came into prominence for America, for America, and you know, outside of of their core fans, nobody really knew who he was uh, during that championship run. But he's a kid who's been in the Club America system for the last six years. So he moved from Phoenix to Mexico City when he was 16, and um, I do believe that he had been one of their key starters for the U20 team that won the league MX title in that category, I think in 2012. So he was a very <clears throat> promising guy for them, uh, from the get go. And, uh, he's, he's gotten some ex- international experience. He, um, they did a U20 Copa Libertadores a couple of years ago and America was included in that. So he played in that team, I believe. And then, um, to give, to give him some, some professional experience, they kind of moved him to, because um, other other Televisa owned side Necaxa back in 2013 in, in the uh, second division, uh, he played very well there. I, I was surprised at how well he he kind of grabbed a starting spot in that team and, and became an, an important part of that of that defense. Uh, so much so that you know Medica they kind of joked that this team was very good at producing youth players for other teams because yeah. they would eventually play for other teams. Medica, of course, one of those teams that just spends enormous amounts of money on, on, on their team. They're kind of the, um, they're kind of the, uh, Latin American equivalent of Real Madrid in that regard. They just don't pay attention to any of their, their young Mexican, Mexican American starlets. But, uh, he, he did well enough to stick around. And I think that we saw during the last championship run for America that he is a perfectly capable player. Uh, you know, wherever he's one of those guys that, it doesn't really matter where you put him. If you put him in the middle of the of the pitch as a holding midfielder, mm-hmm. he'll do the job. Mm-hmm. If you put him um, as a um, just a lateral defender, he'll do the job. And he, of course, is a, a very capable central defender. So I, I did hear from a couple of, uh, of, of colleagues at ESPN and, and Brian Scaretta over at American Soccer Now that he is definitely interested in playing for the U.S. men's national team. And I, I would... I would just say that this is going to be one of those interesting cases where he's probably going to have both offers on the table. Yeah. Uh, Miguel Herrera has been very adamant about saying that he wants new faces in the Mexican team and he wants to involve himself <clears throat> in the race for these binationals. Uh, we, we've seen it with William Yarbrough. He's been sweet talking 
uh, the lone goalkeeper for the better part of the last year, and he's going to get a call-up. So I think Alvarado would be one of those guys that gets uh, both call-ups. That, this should be fascinating, and obviously, you know, uh, from the American side of things, we we worry about these elements. And what look, he's got connections. I mean, he plays at Club America. He's got connections to Miguel Herrera. He obviously... Um, you know, has been living there for a very, well, for, for six years now, uh, since the move, um, uh, at 16. But if he's American and he feels American, maybe, he, uh, maybe he'll pull that, he'll, he'll turn in that direction. It's, it's, it's one of those, um, it's one of those situations, as you said, very interesting that ends up sort of determining how the American fan base, can't speak for the Mexican fan base, Eric, but the American fan base feels about the balance of power when I'm, you know, I'm the one, I'm the guy who's sitting there saying, Hey, this is a very personal decision for these players. I don't know that it's necessarily about he thinks Mexico is a better place, uh, a better team to play for, or or the United States is if he chooses that. It, it, it's it's completely about his individual circumstance. No, absolutely not. And I think I was very surprised uh, when I was at Club America a few months ago. Uh, he was giving he was part of that day. Um, I had heard from guys that his Spanish wasn't really that great, and I thought, really, I mean, he's been here for five, six years now. Um, his Spanish to me sounded like somebody from the northern part of Mexico, such as myself, would sound. So I think that was the, <laughs> the discrepancy uh, that he didn't have a central Mexico accent. But uh-huh. I think that's pretty common when you live in an, an area like Phoenix. You get a lot of people from northern Mexico um, living alongside you. Um, even then, you know, I would I would say that he, yeah, he has the, the pick of the litter in, in that regard. He's a player who really fills a need for both teams at this point. I think Mexico is very, very much in need for fresh defensive talent. Um, the fact remains that after Hector Moreno, maybe Diego Reyes, Mexico's um, back line is pretty thin. So a, a guy like Alvarado, 22 years old, who can play in, in both positions, that they would definitely give him a shot. They would definitely give him a shot even for the Copa America or maybe even the Gold Cup. Um, I think he's that promising and he, and he's that, um, that the demand is so high for him that he would absolutely fill that need for Mexico. And then again, for the United States, I think Klinsman has shown a, an excellent job of attracting U.S. born players and, and U.S. eligible players in other territories. So I think that given his track record, uh, he could definitely make a great case to latch on to, to a guy like Alvarado and bring him into the program. So, you know, he's, he's one of those players who I think, um, because of the club that he plays for and because of the fact, I mean, he's pretty much given Gustavo Matosa, the club America coach, no choice. And he's now a starter. Um, one of the guy, one of the guys that he, they brought in from Tijuana, Pablo Aguilar, Paraguayan defender, <clears throat> national team caliber. He's sitting on, on the bench because Alvarado has been doing such a good job. So I think if this continues, we'll see a developing storyline in, in the coming weeks. Let's turn to Club America's biggest rival, a, a club that'll uh, kick you out if you declare for the United States, the Chivas de Guadalajara, where um, the question is is obviously the, the looming question is is ultimately relegation at that club. Um, we know that the Kubo Torres is there for, for those, uh, MLS fans who are tracking his progress. Obviously, Houston Dynamo fans are closely watching Kubo Torres. First, the situation at the club and, and the way things have gone for Chepo since he took that job. Well, it's, I mean, it's not ideal. It's not ideal yet in that they've leapfrogged teams in the relegation race. They're still very much in it. They lose a couple of games and, and Puebla and De Gea and the other, the other two teams that are involved there pick up points and they're pretty much right back where they started this season. So I think it's an ongoing battle for them. I think that Chepo has not <clears throat> yet found his starting 11 and he's been pretty disappointed with a few of the new faces, including Kubo because of, you know, we've not seen them, um, feature for the Chivas side. Fernando Arce is a guy who, I mean, 34 years old. He's been national team caliber for the last decade. He was pretty much the most important part of that Tijuana championship team in 2012. Um, they, they, he was a, a Ballyhoot signing. They spent a lot of money on him, despite the fact that he's in his mid thirties and he's sitting on the bench. He's not even coming to the bench as Kubo, uh, can attest to as well. Um, mostly Copa MX duty for them. So I think it's, it's very interesting to analyze a guy like Chepo. who's definitely no nonsense. He knows what he wants. He knows what he wants out of his players. He knows what style the team is going to play. But I think Chepo has been one of those guys that you would never think to plug in uh, when a team is so dangerously close to relegation. He's more, he's, he's one of those Phil Jackson type guys that 
unless he's coaching a team that is already upper echelon, you're not really going to see an immediate difference from a Chepo coach team. So I think it, it was a, it was a pretty, I don't know. It was a pretty weighted gamble by Jorge Vergara and that Chivas, um, that Chivas staff. But, um, given that a couple of their other foes in the relegation race are not really pulling their weight yet, you know, I never, I would never think that Chivas is going to be relegated. That's just me. That's just a conspiracy theorist in me. I don't see Chivas playing in the second division next year. But I also think that this is, is it's definitely going to leave a mark with fans. And I think that the shoddy treatment that Chepo has been giving players like Kubo, you know, Kubo is a part of, of, of Chivas and is a part of that organization since he's been a child. So he definitely has a deep emotional connection to the, to the fan base. And I know that a lot of the fans are not happy that they're going to have to say goodbye to Kubo uh, this season while he's sitting on the bench or playing in, in rather meaningless Copa MX games. Just to, very quickly before I let you go, um, in, in terms of the nuts and bolts of the relegation situation, I'm looking at the relegation table. Again, there's math involved. Mexico doesn't they, they do that Argentina style uh, aggregate points over a couple of uh, different tournaments. All right, so I'm looking at the, the relegation table. Guadalajara is in 16th with of eight out of 18 teams with Leones Negros right. at the bottom of the table. So Leonis Negros, as of right now, if the season ended right now, they would go down. And then what does it mean for the other four teams that are in the relegation area? They pretty much move down for next season. I mean, the, the way that the Mexican um, relegation system works is the last three years count. So at the end of the third year, <clears throat> you have played 102 league matches. And um, then that kind of moves forward and the... I would say it's 2015 now. So 2013 would not be taken into consideration anymore. And you would start 2016, 2015, 2016 with the last two years uh, only counting for your percentage. So it is pretty complicated <laughs> if you've never heard. Um, right now, Chivas has been, I mean, Chivas has been pretty bad for the last three and a half years. So it's not really going to make a dent for them either way if they remain in the first division, because they'll still be in that bottom part. Now, Leones Negros is a team that was promoted this year. So they've only got 23 games under their belt. That means that whenever they gain points, uh, their percentage kind of varies wildly week to week. Right. Um, so they're, I mean, they're not even in the most amount of danger just yet. Uh, I would say that it's between Chivas and Puebla right now, because Puebla, of course, um, the same amount of games as Chivas, but they've got three less points. So that's their only real competition at this point. They they can't think about Leonis Negros because if they win two games in a row, I mean, they're ninth in right. that table. Uh, really makes no difference. But uh, Chivas and Puebla, so again, you know, I, I spoke to Hercules Gomez a couple of weeks ago who's over at Puebla, and he's, you know, I, I thought personally that he had been in a situation like that before because he's played for a couple of um, of teams that have been in, in the lower half of the table. He says it's it's his first time, and you know he really feels that um, that the players are really banding together. But it's 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 a very difficult thing to go through, especially when you're up against a team that is so highly revered in Mexico. And we've seen a couple of um, ref decisions go uh, kind of suspiciously towards Chivas in the last couple of weeks. So there's there's real real concern in Puebla and in. Uh, in the western part of Guadalajara, where Leonis Negos hails, that things might not be as fair as they seem. Yeah, let's 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 hope. I mean, you know, I guess in, it's almost the best case scenario that Guadalajara avoids being in that relegation uh, just on their own merit. But if if there are some some shaky decisions, and as you said, if the conspiracy theory turns out where they would go down, but let's move some club franchise, uh, you know, rights around and stuff like that. I, I, that's not good for Mexican soccer, Eric. We don't want to see that. I don't think the fans would would like that at all. They would they would probably ask Ferreira to keep the team and its original history, its original colors in the second division division instead of buying the team kind of comes up. I don't know if it's up to them though. I think it's merely a business decision for for Vergara who says that he spent over uh about 10 million dollars in in signings over over the winter, just the winter and and getting a couple of players. Um, there have been some pretty strong rumors circling the team that Vergara will sell no matter what happens this summer, price tag around $300 million. 
So it might not even be in his hands um, when it's all said and done. But it's a very, very precarious thing for Mexican soccer in general. And I know that there are a lot of people who are pretty nervous about this. Eric Gomez, Eric Gomez 86 on Twitter. He is a must follow. Eric, thanks for your time and your insight as always. I appreciate it. Great to be on as always, Jason. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, Jonathan Tannewald from Philly.com will join us. We'll do some uh, TV rights discussion. Don't go anywhere. Soccer Morning brought to you by World Soccer Talk. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on Backheel.com with Jason Davis. Here we go, back on Soccer Morning, live from Philadelphia, Jonathan Tannewald from Philly.com. You know him as the goalkeeper on Twitter. John, how are you, sir? Yeah, snowstorm is a lovely day for soccer. You know? Yeah, you know, um, I'm, I'm, o- I'm over, look, I am not a winter or a, a European traditional schedule proponent, John, you know that. But I am sort of over every time it's cold or snows in the Northeast or the Midwest. We we have to make jokes about how we should be switching the schedule. Oh, see, I'm not because Jurgen Klinsmann goes on Twitter and chucks sticks of dynamite around all over the place <laughs> like he did last night. I, 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 what did he chuck last night? I may have missed this. I will. Uh, I let me, let me pull it up. Okay. All uh, right. I will read you the exact quote. At which point I tweeted, "I'm logging off Twitter for the night. I'm out of here." Ah, uh, just to clarify the fitness discussion. All players need to always be in caps, be prepared 100% to represent the USA. It is an honor to be on the USMNT. <laughs> All right. So 100% fitness 100% of the time? Is that what I'm hearing? Uh, yeah, I'm not going to read the replies on air. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, maybe we can now push that to the back end of this discussion. And look, I mean, no one, uh, no one sitting here right now is advocating for a switch to a winter schedule. So that's neither here nor there. What we are ostensibly here to talk about, John, is the decision by FIFA, the rather sneaky, surprising decision by FIFA to uh, to hand the rights to the 2026 World Cup in the United States to both Fox and Telemundo, who obviously purchased the rights very publicly, bid on the rights for the 2018 and 2022 World Cups. Um, I guess the first question is why? I know as much of the answer to that question as ESPN <laughs> and Univision do. Which is, which is no one really is really sure. Now the, right. the, the guess I think, and, and Grant Wall's certainly been out front with this. The guess is that this is an attempt to mollify upset rights holders over the fact that the 2022 World Cup is going to be moved into the winter, which gives them less value for, uh, for their dollar. Well, it certainly would if you're Fox, which has the NFL rights and you're, you've now increasingly likely, it seems, going to have a World Cup that is not only during the NFL season, but during the peak of the NFL season in terms of big games and playoff ramifications and so forth. And let's not exempt Telemundo from this either because they have a package of simulcasting NBC Sunday night and playoff games in Spanish on the network now known as NBC Universo. It used to be called Mundos. They rebranded it on Super Bowl Sunday because they carried the Super Bowl. And, uh, you know, that was a lot of people's first impression was they're doing this because it's a sign that they're going to move the 2022 World Cup to winter. And it might also be a sign that they're going to give the 2026 World Cup to either the United States or Canada. Because we, it should also be noted that Bell Media uh, in Canada also got its automatic, well, not automatic, but it got included in the steelworks, got its rights extended to 2026. They're also an NFL rights holder in Canada. And if I'm Rogers, which is their, which is their chief competitor? Uh, I'd be pretty angry too. So Rogers should be pretty angry. Univision should be pretty angry. And yes, is ESPN definitely is angry. All right, so yes. Univision, Univision is definitely angry. ESPN has made a statement, and, and you know some of the media watchers are around um, the the blogosphere, the internet have said that if 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 ESPN is outwardly, you know, expressing their displeasure, then it must be they must be fuming back in Bristol. I think from the people who I've talked to and some of the other reporters out there who we've all talked to, I think that's a safe assumption. Um, 
I'm going to pull up ESPN's statement here. I'm also going to pull up Univision's statement here. ESPN statement, we were not invited to be involved in this process, considering the high-quality presentation that ESPN demonstrated and the exposure we brought to FIFA events through all our platforms. It was surprising and disappointing to learn of this when the press release was issued. Key phrase there at the end. Right. Univision statement, we were not invited to participate in the process and find it curious that FIFA would think keeping the number one Hispanic media company in the U.S. out of a competitive bidding process is good for the growth of soccer in the U.S., now, ignoring their shots fired at Telemundo there. Right. Um, the key phrase there is competitive bidding process. Because if that 2026 World Cup is going to be played anywhere in North America, whether the United States or Canada, and you're not going to have an open bidding process, which I know that Univision was banking on in terms of getting back into the game, and they were ready to throw the house at a 2026 World Cup in the United States, and I suspect ESPN would have done the same thing. FIFA's leaving a lot of money on the table. Yeah, again, and it's not something that they normally do. And that, that gets us back to why. And, and just because they may be moving 2022 out of the normal summer window, that, that doesn't, that isn't, it still doesn't fly. Because one thing we know about FIFA well, is. Well, it does for one reason. What's that? Which costs less the discount they're giving to Fox and Telemundo or their cost of taking a lawsuit from Fox over. That's exactly, that, that is the, that is the caveat here. That, that there has been talk. That if they move the tournament in, in Qatar from summer to winter, that there would be lawsuits on the part of, uh, of bidders who said from the very beginning, or who thought from the very beginning they were getting, uh, the World Cup in the traditional window and, and bid on, based on that potential value. Uh, but at the, at the same time, um, you know, we, we come to a question, a question here, whether or not FIFA has an obligation to have a competitive bidding process when it comes to these rights for any World Cup? Well, the IOC doesn't for the Olympics. Now, granted, the IOC is in a bit of a different situation because NBC effectively bankrolls them. That's the only other comparison that I can come up with. Let me read this from September of 2013 in The Telegraph. English newspaper. FIFA has been in secret talks that could mean it surrenders millions of pounds in broadcast revenue if the dates for the 2022 World Cup are shifted, as seems increasingly likely. Despite Secretary General Jerome Valka recently assisting, quote, compensation is a word you should never use, end quote, when addressing the prospect of FIFA taking a financial hit if the tournament is rescheduled, the Daily Telegraph has learned discussions with the likes of American Network Fox have taken place in an attempt to stave off the threat of legal action. Now, I can't imagine that this negotiation to give Telemundo and Fox an extra World Cup have been taking place for that long. But uh, well, I mean, they, they may have broached this. They may have broached the subject. I mean, it, it, if, if Fox immediately look, if Fox as soon as the word started to filter out, or as soon as the the possibility was broached, the World Cup in 2022 may be moved. <laughs> uh, if I'm Fox, that's the first the uh, first thing I do is pick up the phone and call my contact, the television uh, committee chairman at, at FIFA, and say, "Hey, what the hell's going on here?" I don't think Fox was acting only on behalf of itself in the United States either. I think it was probably acting on behalf of a couple of. Uh, Sky or News News Corporation, there, whatever that. you want to yeah. call it, properties. Yeah, sure. When you when uh, you know Uncle Rupert is is a big figure that I'm sure FIFA would like to keep on their side. And they've got you know Australia and and Australia is also in this in a big way too because they tried to sue FIFA for compensation over the bidding process. I, you know, it, it's I, I John, it's let me, frustrating, but I I this this thing's got a long way to go. In term, well, you mean in terms of the ultimate fallout? I mean, do you think there'll be a lawsuit on the part of, of, again, what, what would the grounds be? I mean, is ESPN just going to have to take their lumps and, and move on? And, and I, I, we could talk about the ramifications on soccer in this country should ESPN decide that if they are going to be shut out for the next three World Cups, whether that impacts their, their ultimate spend on the sport. It might. Um, it's a great question, but and but but it, it, again, it gets. I, I was kind of proposing the notion of whether or not Univision or ESPN or any of the parties that were shut out here and were surprised to see the press release that said the, the these rights have been handed to Fox and Telemundo and and Bell, whether or not they, they could they do have grounds for any sort of lawsuit, or if that's that's. I don't. I don't think they do. I think if they if ESPN did, they would have sued the IOC by now. 
All right. I, I, I wasn't, I'm, I'm just not up on ESPN's interest in the Olympics, I suppose. Uh, but, right. but yeah, as you, that seems to be a closed shop with NBC just rolling over year, uh, year to year to year or, or Olympics to Olympics. Uh, it, okay. So th- in terms of the fallout, in terms of what you, you think may or may not happen here, is, is, is there any chance that this is pulled back? Is there any chance that, you know, again, we are not, we are not still, we, we're still not to a resolution over Qatar and whether or not that World Cup's going to happen there necessarily. I mean, I, I expect, I expect it to, John. I expect it to. But what I'm saying is at some point, somebody may file another lawsuit. At some point, the, um, the attention on, on the, the slave labor in that country could, could rise again. Um, the, the international community could decide to get involved on some level. There could be, and I don't expect this, but there could be some sort of strife in that particular region that, that pushes FIFA to consider whether or not the World Cup there is a good idea. There could be a change in the FIFA presidency, although I don't that, necessarily expect that either. Right. Um, the, one of the things to watch out for here is that I had read, I think Grant Wall wrote this, I forget exactly that. The bidding for 2026 is expected to take place in 2017. You would think that Sepp Blatter will still be in power at that point. Yes. Um, if by some miracle he's not, then all kinds of things are on the table all of a sudden. Um, but <sighs> that's, that, that's, I think, the only way anything really – Sepp Blatter stays in power – he moves the World Cup to winner. He tells UEFA to get over itself and keeps giving out the money to talk half and Africa and Asia and all that. It's a, it is a fascinating situation, but it's just simply based on the fact that, um, you know, again, FIFA looks like they're, they're losing money on this deal and, and, but at the same time, the, the, the reasoning seems to be that perhaps they'll be facing a lawsuit. Here's, here's something that FIFA said in a statement to CNN after the 2026 announcement. FIFA aims to distribute the highest quality coverage of its international tournaments to as wide an audience as possible. FIFA constantly reviews and monitors global market conditions for sports media rights in order to make the best decision for each market. The agreement extensions announced on Thursday were the result of a detailed assessment of the market and discussions with the relevant broadcasters. Okay, sure. That's what ESPN flipped out on. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, look, no one, no one can stand here. No, if, if FIFA, I mean, this is, this is ultimate BS. You can't stand there and with a straight face say that Fox has a larger reach than ESPN. That's insane. Uh, okay. Let, let's, let's put this to the side. We got a, I got a caller on the line. I have no idea if they want to get in on this topic. If they don't, I'm going to have to drop, drop you. 417. Who's this? Hey, this is Al speaking. What's going on? Yeah. And, well, my, my biggest, um, problem I have with FIFA, I mean, it's, it's starting to act like in my ways. Like in my ways, it seems like the thief is kind of taking the page of the NFL with all these little, you know, these television contracts and everything else, stadiums. Uh, and, I'm not and sure. I, I, I'm not sure what that means exactly. What, what do you mean? That t- t- well, well, what I mean is, is that you know, look at the um, millions of dollars of stadiums that are being built. You know, like in like. Like the last World Cup and everything else, and has displaced people and everything that people made the demands and everything. It's like the same situation in the NFL with cities who are trying, who are trying to keep their teams, you know, trying to keep their teams from moving to uh, LA, okay. like St. Louis, Oakland, and San Diego. Uh- all right. I, appreciate I think that it's a good call. point, but I got to tell you what, the shrimp takes, tastes real nice in that luxury box. <laughs> yes. There's that. I mean, I like, again, I mean, I don't know where, I don't know where the, the ire is supposed to be. I understand ESPN being upset, John. Um, rightfully so. I understand any other party who may have been lining up a bid for this tournament. I understand why they're upset. Should the fans be upset? Should we as common soccer viewers be upset? I don't know that it's worth the energy. I think that the burden remains on Fox to prove itself, and I know that they are chomping at the bit to show what they can do with the Women's World Cup and and prove what they're made of. But I, you know, I'm being photographed by my boss while I'm live on air. Ah, awesome. That's good. That's good. Uh, uh, and look, they, they are, and, and you know this probably better than I do, but, you know, I have, having talked to, uh, John Strong a couple of weeks back and, and some of the things that, that, that they are certainly doing for their MLS coverage, 
they are making hires and doing things to line up. I mean, I'm not saying they're trying to to copy what NBC did during their run, but they are. They have hired some people that worked at NBC. They have done some things that have that that should point people in the direction that they're they're putting it all in it. They're, they're not they're not going to half-ass this this process, John. I think that's right. But if they they there are still a couple of things that they need to do that are independent of talent, but are are, are done at at high enough levels of the company that somebody's going to pay attention. And I, I hate to put it this bluntly, but I think it's still in a lot of ways true. If they really care about soccer that much, they need to get full distribution for Fox Sports too. All right, there's certainly that. Um, that is a, an element. I, ha- I have it in HD. I know that everybody, not everybody does. And I know there was a lot of concern over uh, some of the uh, FA Cup games this week. And look, as the Champions League broadcaster, if they're going to drop any of those things onto um, onto Fox Sports too, then then you know they're, they're going to upset people. And uh, and and they, as you said, they need to show that they are fully committed to this by. Not, not. Oh, look, we've got some soccer that's that's you know sport number seventeen in our portfolio. But because of the nature of the the events that they have, the World Cup being the the big, biggest, but that's still three years, three and a half years away. But also the Champions League, also the FA Cup, now MLS coming in. All of these things kind of to coalesce into a situation where you you really got to to show us what you got. And and I'm, they, I'm hopeful. they've got the Europa League on Thursday. That's right. And it's all on Fox Sports 2 and Fox Soccer Plus cuz it's bumped by NASCAR. Yeah, well there you go. And if the Liverpool fans think that they're more powerful than the NASCAR fan base, I wish them all the best. <laughs> NASCAR's taken some lumps over the past couple of years, but yes, they're uh, they're they're not uh, soccer in Liverpool are not quite there yet. Jonathan Tannenwald from philly.com uh, follow him on Twitter at the goalkeeper for for media stuff, but for other things as well as games to watch. Call him every uh, Friday is an excellent read or an excellent guide to what you should be looking at. Uh, good uh, good uh, discussion on the CBA negotiations as those continue. And anything related to Philadelphia Union uh, angst is John's Twitter <laughs> feed. It's a good place to go. John, appreciate your time. I, I'll le- I'll leave you with this from NBC. Okay. We were offered the opportunity to extend our Spanish language rights for another for another cycle. And we were happy to be able to complete the transaction. That's it. That, that's it. I, I, again, I mean, if somebody knows something more here, I, I mean, do you just t- – and, and I, I, I know I've already given you your out, John, but, but since you mentioned this, if you're Fox, if you're Telemundo, if you're Bell, when FIFA calls you up and says, hey, we want to discuss giving you – you know, extending your rights into 2026, do you just take that? You, you, you don't look the gift horse in the mouth? I don't. All right. I guess that's true. It's the World Cup. Thanks a lot, John. Appreciate the time. You're welcome. All right. There you go. That's uh, Jonathan Tannewald from Philly.com, the goalkeeper on Twitter. Let's uh, take a break. We come back. Open up the phone lines. Get that Twitter machine going. Anything that you want to talk about, jump in now. 347-756-6276. Soccer morning. World Soccer Talk. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on Backheel.com with Jason Davis. David's on the line here on Soccer Morning. What's up, David? Hey, Jason, a totally different direction here, but I just happened to stumble upon something last night and I wanted to share it with everyone. If you get a chance, go out to YouTube. There's the actual interview. Someone's put it up there. Maybe it's been out there for a while. Of English managers, old English managers, Don Revy and uh, Brian Clough, and, and a TV interview that they did, where they're basically going at each other. Yeah, that's a it's a it's, it's a very famous uh, very famous uh, moment that was uh, right. dramatized in the Damned United. Right. And, but you actually go out and look at the real interview. I mean, it's, it's incredible to think that two managers would go on TV and go at each other this way. I'm, I'm trying to think of what would, what would an American equivalent be? I don't know, Bruce Arena and... If we can, look, if we can I get... Th- thanks for the call, Dave. I'm going to move on because i got a bunch of people trying to get in. If we can get Bruce Arena and Jurgen Klinsmann on some sort of chat show like that, yeah, that would be about as close as we're going to get. I don't think that's going to... I don't know if that's ever going to happen. 
I mean, I don't think ESPN, I, I, ESPN FC is a, is a uh-huh. fine show. Hold on one second. ESPN FC is a fine show, but I'm not sure it's the venue for that. I'm not sure it has the right kind of feel to it. 812, you're on the air. Who's this? Oh, this is Luke. What's up, man? Uh, I'm just wondering, what do you guys think about, I heard something about, like, will there be a relegation promotion system between the NASL, USL, and the MLS? What do I think about said system? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's it works a, really well in England and it, all the other places. So. Uh, Luke, it's it's a long, long way away. Let's say let's say it like that. Um, again, restate it, okay? I I am I enjoy pro rel. I would love to see promotion and relegation happen in the United States. But if we're talking mm-hmm. if we're talking about like in terms of practical terms and the people that are in charge of the teams in this country, it's a long way yeah. off. And and look, this, this causes some people to be upset at, at the powers that be. There's typically the, the MLS owners and Don Garber who are adamant that they don't want promotion and relegation. And, you know, I, I don't, I don't necessarily have a problem with being upset at those people, but remember that they're the ones that have dropped millions and tens of millions of dollars on trying to make MLS a success in this country to ask them to put their teams in jeopardy of going down a division where suddenly your attendance goes from 20,000 a match down to seven or 8,000 a match while there's also questions of infrastructure and stadiums for the teams that are coming up. All of these things are, are part of the discussion of whether or not it could ever work. And again, I think it may happen, but it's going to be a long way away. Yeah, I see what you say. That makes a lot of sense, but... Yeah, I would, I don't, honestly, myself, I don't care, but it just be, it just, it just I, I appreciate the call. And yeah. look, let's, let's be fair about this. There are, you know, the people make value judgments over whether or not promotion and relegation is a better system than the way that MLS does it, which is obviously with a closed league of 21, 22, 23, 2018, whatever we're going to get to eventually. And I don't know that there's, I don't know that one is inherently better than the other. You create drama at the bottom of the table in Europe with relegation. You create drama at the top of the second division with promotion. And I, I guess that's where we're, ultimately what we're talking about is whether or not the second division, and we've talked to Bill Peterson of the NASL and uh, Tim Holt of the, of USL in recent days, last week. And the question for both of them, as they lead their leagues through the American soccer wilderness, excuse me, is whether or not they can convince their fans that supporting the team to just win that league is enough. Bill Peterson has put it out there that he thinks creating that drama at the top and the ability to move up is, is inherently important to drawing attention to those second and third division teams. I'm, you know, again, it's, it's a matter of whether or not MLS is ever going to open it up. I mean, that's it. You can do, you can do promote pro rel between USL and NASL. I don't think that's going to happen. They don't like each other very much. Well, that's the other practical issue here. Nobody in American soccer likes each other very much. (laughs) It just doesn't happen. Bill Peterson says that he has a fine relationship with MLS. And I don't doubt that he has the cordial relationship with MLS. But don't forget that. It wasn't f- more than five years ago that USL, at the time USL won, and another gr- a group of owners that were in that league split into what eventually became USL Pro and, and the NASL. So to ask those people to get together, sit down at a table, hash out a way for teams to move between divisions, it's a big ask. I'm going to talk about needing federal mediators. I don't know that they could do the job. And they, both of these leagues, each of these leagues has a different idea of how to run their competition. What way is the best way to market their teams, et cetera, et cetera. And, and look, this is inherently part of the problem with American soccer not having a culture that extends back a hundred years the way that England's does or Italy's does or Spain's does. Because now we have a situation where there's this giant country and we imagine that there's a lot of these soccer fans that we need to service, but everybody gets to start their own league. And we don't have U.S. soccer lording over everybody, dictating who moves up and who moves down and what divisions are what. 661, you're on the air. Hey, uh, my name's Robert. I'm calling from Los Angeles. What's going on, Robert? Hey, can I ask something that's off the subject? 
Yeah, absolutely, man. Hey, it has to do with uh, last week's FA Cup coverage on Fox, and I'm a. Uh, it was pretty bad because I'm a. Uh, they only. I mean, you know, like Eric Ronaldo and Alexis and Rob Stone were only on for one game, and then after that, they pretty much forgot about it. It's very different from what like you know NBC does, and I'm just very worried on how they're going to treat MLS when when the season starts. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, it, it, I guess that depends on how, how much they value the FA Cup and, and, you know, it's a big deal for some clubs. It's not a big deal for other clubs. I didn't watch, I watched some games. I don't remember necessarily the studio coverage. Um, but yeah, that, that's part of the element. You want to see them treat each and every event like it's a big time thing. I mean, that was what MLS fans, thanks for the call, Robert. That's what MLS fans found most appealing about NBC coverage is they treated it like it was a big event. Every single time they broadcast a game, they went to the stadium ahead of the anthems with the procession. They did, they had the build up. They had the crowd. They had Arlo White or John Strong or whoever doing a, setting the stage and doing it in a fashion very much like, um, I don't know, like Musburger does for big college football games. You are looking live. I mean, it, it was, it's, it felt important and that's, I think that's necessary to, to success for Fox. 414, you're on the air. Yeah, um, first, I just want, uh, I watched the coverage of, uh, the FA Cup, yeah, uh, yesterday, and, uh, Eric Ronaldo looked like a caged lion, man. I mean, between, uh, between those two guys, Alexi Loss and certain topics. Well, that- I thought that was funny. And I wish that, uh, Fox would bring back Bobby McMahon, personally. I think he's the best commentator that they've ever had well here's the here's the issue with bobby mcmahon bobby mcmahon lives i think he lives in i want to say canada in in winnipeg i think he lives in winnipeg uh i don't know that bobby mcmahon and i think he's got a career outside of doing the soccer thing or he you know obviously he's writing a column for forbes these days we should grab bobby mcmahon have him on the show uh he's got a career outside of that i don't know that he's the type of guy at, at his stage of life and i'm sure he's got a family who wants to uproot everything and move to la and become a soccer pundit uh full time i i don't know that that's where he is um so uh, yeah go ahead yeah and, and my other thing is you know nbc's coverage might have been great uh but it lacked uh it uh spanish language uh thing you couldn't get uh, uh via the staff or and i know they were partnered up with telemundo and a lot of their things uh, like ESPN simultaneously cast their uh, games in English and in Spanish. Did they? Uh, I, I, and I, I, I'm really worried about reaching over to the engaging the Hispanic fan. Uh, I believe this new television deal is a poor deal for the uh, Spanish language fan. Why is that? The Friday night games. Okay. The Friday night games are not a set time time. Uh, so if you look at it. Uh, if you play an early game in the East Coast, that is a, uh, for the West Coast, uh, Latinos, where there's a large Pacific mount, that's a bad time slot, and vice versa, uh, for coast to coast. And then you also look at it, they're not, uh, in Univision, in my personal opinion, uh, there's no, there's, that's the main game. And I believe the other two are on Fox. They're going to simultaneously cast, I believe, on Fox and ESPN. But those aren't traditional channels. And then those aren't traditional channels that they're used to watching soccer in. And so I do believe that you're going to see maybe a hit on Spanish language fans. And if you look at it, who's getting the best television ratings right now in soccer, regardless of language here in this country. And then you also look at the lack of diversity that every single network has when it comes to their soccer coverage. What do you mean by lack of diversity? There's a lack of people of uh, perspective, in my personal opinion, uh, on Fox and on ESPN in, in English. You you mean like... Oh, a, people of color. People okay. of color. I, I see what you're look, saying. For, for, well, for, for example, look, look, I'm not going to go out here and tell you that you got to change the way you think, but you know how many times I've heard Stevie Nichols talk about, well... <laughs> the EPL has a diving problem. We're not a Latin American uh, soccer league. Well, 
But what if somebody said to Stevie Nichols that, hey, you know, British players, that's not, that's not intensity. That's, that's dirty. No, I agree. British players I, are I agree. dirty. Look, but, but that's How the, would Stevie Nichols would act <laughs> if he, he would have heard that? He, he'd probably agree with you on some level. I'm, I'm going to move on. I appreciate the call, man. Look, there's a lot of perspective there. Uh, that's a lot to swallow. Um, yeah, the, whether or not there's diving and, Dirt, you know, whether or not British football is dirty and Latin football is about diving and simulation, those are matters of perspective. And how much you accept of that in the game is a matter of perspective. And that's why, look, I'm glad that we have different cultures and different styles and the game can be that rich. Otherwise, it'd be boring. 856, you're on the air. Hey, Jason. Who's this? Uh, JT from New Jersey. What's going on, man? Uh, back to what you and uh, Jonathan were talking about with like ESPN affecting the coverage of soccer. If they don't get the World Cup, I feel like it will affect how they cover the sport. Because look at how like they affect like since they don't cover like NHL hockey anymore, they yeah. really don't put that much of uh, that sport out there. You, you know, know what I'm I, I've seen I've I've no I don't watch as much Sports Center as I used to, but I've seen an uptick in in their at least the highlights that they're doing um for the NHL. Maybe I'm wrong about that. People who watch the NHL and watch ESPN can tell me if I'm wrong. But it certainly seems like there's a regular amount of NHL highlight package stuff on ESPN and on SportsCenter. I, I don't, I don't want to disagree with you because I think it's very possible that if ESPN isn't able to bid on the World Cup until 2030, that they're going to lose some interest in soccer. But there are plenty of other properties for them to join in on. Just because they missed out on the World Cup doesn't mean they're going to miss out on, uh, you know, the Euro in 20, uh, in, in 2016. Uh, they, I'm assuming they have the rights to the Euro in 2016. It doesn't mean they, they're going to lose out on Champions League when that comes around again. Uh, it doesn't mean that they're going to lose out on the Premier League if that, when, if and when that comes around again. I mean, they have an opportunity. They, they chose not to bid or it's not that they chose not to bid. It's that they, uh, is that they, where they want to put their money has to be adjusted now. And, and maybe they don't allocate as much to soccer. Maybe you're right, but I, I hope not. Yeah, the, the uh, ESPN does have the Euro tournament. In yeah, yeah that, that's too soon for them not to have something like that. I appreciate the call, JT. Yeah. Anything else, man? No problem. All right, there you go. Vincent Toronto, what's up? Hello? Vince in Toronto, you're on the air. You're You're supposed to be better at this. No, I'm sorry. You know, um, you know, Jason. How are you enjoying your uh, your winter wonderland over there? Uh, it's 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 nice. It's nothing compared to what you deal with every single winter. So I'm not I'm not going to complain, Vince. Yeah, you know, it's funny. Like you know, people are complaining about snow. Um, you know, in the Northeast uh, U.S., like we we haven't had any snow here in Toronto. It's just it's more of like a frozen wasteland, if you will. Well, hey, look, I would I can deal with snow. I think better than frigid cold. I'm talking about like, and I, I know you guys use Celsius up there. Whatever, like five degrees Fahrenheit is for you, that that's the worst. I I can't deal with that day in and day out. If it's like twenty eight with some snow, okay, I, I'm cool. Yeah, it's not the cold itself; it's the wind that kills you. There's but that. um, uh, but but you know, uh, we need that we need that winter schedule, right, Jason? Yes, but, uh, we do. What's 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 on uh, your mind, soccer wise, Vince? Uh, you know, uh, with this whole twenty twenty six World Cup thing going, you know, with Fox. Fox, uh, Fox, uh, you know, getting the rights, uh, to it. Um, you know, it, it's interesting because, like, this, that World Cup is, is going to be, um, is most likely, you know, uh, assuming 2030 go, goes to South America because that is the, the centennial or what have you. Um, uh, it's going to be North America. And so obviously, you know, had there been a bidding process, that, that, it would have been all out war. Um, uh, for those rights, just as much as, as the, the, the tournament itself, right? Because that tournament is going to be fought over uh, by the U.S., Mexico, and Canada. Um, and so, like, of course, like it's one thing to get gut punched, um, you know, when it comes to bidding for these rights uh, for any World Cup, but to have it happen when that particular World Cup is going to be uh, where you where where you are, right? Where, where these uh, networks come from, and, and you know, their home continent, if you will. Yeah. Um, it, it, adds like a more subversive text to it when it comes to uh you know what exactly is going on right because um the u.s got screwed out of 2022 um and and now you know this whole 2026 thing uh happening uh it'll be very interesting to see what happens i mean i, I just wanted to put that out there no, i find that very interesting i i think you're i think you're adding something I and mean, certainly john mentioned that there is an element of of extra sh- shadiness to this 
if 2026 lands in either the U.S. or Canada, and I think that's a very good possibility. Thanks for the call, Vince. 301, you're on the air. Turn the show down. Who's this? 301, who's this? All right. Uh, fix your, fix your, your, all right. Radio up too loud or, or podcast up too loud. I apologize for that. On that note, I think it's time to roll uh, this episode of Soccer Morning up. It's, uh, it's been a good one. Thank you very much to Eric Gomez. Well, let's try one more time. We'll give them one more chance. 301, who's this? Who's there? Anybody there? No. All right. That's going to do it for us. <laughs> what a way to go out. Thank you very much to Eric Gomez and Jonathan Tannewald, uh, for their perspective today. Make sure you go to iTunes. Give us a rating and a review. Uh, on the show, it helps us out a lot. World Soccer Talk. That's the new home of Soccer Morning. Where you can catch the show live every Monday through Friday, 10 to 11 to something Eastern. That's when we're on the air. All right. Well, thank, uh, thank you guys very much for listening. What else? Am I missing anything, Trev? I need to know. Am I missing? I, 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 at this point, I feel like with those two phone call failures, I'm swimming in a sea of whatever. All right. That's it. I'm, I'm done. I'm out. We'll be back tomorrow. Join us then. Soccer Morning, World Soccer Talk. Later.